I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewes.substack.com. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the seven-page article I wrote and published on my Substack at rabbishnewiss.substack.com on June 28th, 2023, and the article is entitled, On Why I Value 1840 and the Orthodox Conundrum Podcasts. The Important Work of Rabbi Scott Kahn and Rabbi David Beshevkin. My two favorite Jewish podcasts are 1840 by Rabbi David Beshevkin and the Orthodox Conundrum by Rabbi Scott Kahn. This article is not so much a review, but a personal expression of praise and gratitude for the important work being done by these two rabbis, expressed with help from one of my favorite writers. The one-sentence description of the 1840 podcast reads, quote, helping you find meaning in life through the exploration of Jewish thought and ideas, end quote. 1840's tagline, repeated at the beginning of each episode after the catchy intro music, is, quote, Hello and welcome to the 1840 podcast, where each month we explore a different topic balancing modern sensibilities with, with traditional sensitivities to give you a new approaches to timeless Jewish ideas, end quote. The mission statement of the Orthodox Conundrum is a bit wordier, but only because its scope is broader. Quote, the Orthodox Conundrum is a forum in which we look honestly at the Orthodox Jewish community, identifying what works well and what does not, so that, through an honest accounting, we can find solutions that will be successful. We will examine some of the major issues that affect the Orthodox world, without exaggeration, whitewashing, or pretending that they don't exist. Our hope is that the Orthodox Conundrum will spark wider discussion that will enable Orthodox Judaism to continue moving forward in the areas at which it excels, and to rectify the areas that need improvement. End quote. Granted, there are major differences between 1840 and Orthodox Conundrum, but I'd like to focus on their similarities. Both examine major questions, issues, and problems that face the Orthodox and Orthodox-adjacent world. Both hosts are compassionate, curious, knowledgeable Tamid Chachamim, Torah scholars, who also happen to be talented interviewers, albeit with markedly different styles. Both podcasts help me to keep my finger on the pulse of Jewelry, while regularly exposing me to new ideas and perspectives that I might otherwise never encounter. This past Shabbos, I arrived at a newfound recognition of why I continually find value in these podcasts. This realization was sparked by an unexpected source, a collection of essays by nature writer Barry Lopez entitled Embrace Fearlessly the Burning World. And footnote, many thanks to the anonymous Plonit who sent me this book as a gift through Amazon. In this article, I'd like to share some passages from Lopez which highlight three types of value I find in these podcasts. Value number one, appreciation of Tselem Elohim diversity. The first set of excerpts are from 6,000 Lessons, an essay written in, or published in 2013 with my emphasis in bold. Lopez writes, quote, From the beginning, I wanted to understand how very different each stretch of landscape, each boulevard, each cultural aspiration was. The human epistemologies, the 6,000 spoken ways of knowing God, are like the 6,000 ways a river can run down from high country to low, like the 6,000 ways dawn might break over the Atacama, the Tanami, the Gobi, or the Sonoran. Having seen so much, you could assume, if you were not paying close attention, that you know where you are. Sorry, let me try that again. Having seen so much, you could assume, if you were not paying close attention, that you know where you are succumbing to the heresy of believing one place actually closely resembles another. But this is not true. Each place is itself only, and nowhere repeated. Miss it, and it's gone. Of the 6,000 valuable lessons that might be offered a persistent traveler, here is a single one. Over the years in speaking with indigenous peoples, 
Yupik and Inupiat in Alaska and Inuit in Canada, I came to understand that they prefer to lack the way we use collective nouns in the West for a species. Their tendency is not to respond to a question about what it is that caribou do, but to say instead what an individual caribou once did in a particular set of circumstances, in that place, at that time of year, in that type of weather, with these other animals around. It is important to understand, they say, that on another, apparently similar occasion, that animal might do something different. All caribou, despite their resemblance to each other, are not only differentiated one from the other, but in the end are unpredictable. In Xi'an once, where Chinese archaeologists had recently uncovered a marching army of terracotta soldiers and horses, and where visitors can view them in long pits in situ, I studied several hundred with a pair of binoculars. The face of each one, men and horses alike, was unique. I've watched herds of impala bounding away from lions on the savannah of Africa and flocks of white corellas roosting at dusk in copses of gum trees in the Great Sandy Desert in Western Australia, and have no doubt in those moments that with patience and tutoring, I could distinguish one animal from another. End quote. Through their many interviews with Jews from all walks of life, Scott Kahn and David Bishevkin have helped me to appreciate and value diversity, not the modern brand of diversity touted in the 21st century USA, but the ancient Jewish value of human diversity, as expressed by Chazal in Sanhedrin chapter 4, Mishnah 5, quote, Man was created alone to teach you that anyone who kills a single Jewish soul is considered by scripture to have destroyed an entire world, and anyone who preserves a Jewish soul is considered by scripture to have preserved an entire world, and to declare the greatness of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. For a human being stamps many coins using a single seal, and they are all similar to each other. But the king of kings, a Kaddish Baruch Hu, stamped all people with the seal of Adam Harishon, and not one of them is similar to another. Therefore, each and every person is obligated to say, Bishvili Nivra Olam, the world was created for me. End quote. I begin listening to every new episode with a set of judgments, conscious and unconscious, based on my premises and prejudices about the topic, the title, and the interviewee. Invariably, as I listen, my preconceived notions begin to melt, my assumptions dissolve, and I suddenly find myself marveling at an individual, quote-unquote, human epistemology, a singular, quote-unquote, way of knowing God. By the end of each episode, no matter what, I emerge with a sense of having beheld a Tzalem Elohim in all its glory. I acknowledge with shame that I had succumbed once again to the heresy of believing that one Jew actually closely resembles another. I realize with humility that each human being is themselves only and nowhere repeated. Miss it and it is gone. My feeling of v'yahavtalarecha kamocha, love your fellow as yourself, is renewed. Lopez bemoans how TV and other forms of media have exacerbated these insidious forms of stereotyped thinking. Quote, it is terrifying for me to consider now how television, a kind of cultural nerve gas, has compromised the world's 6,000 epistemologies, collapsing them into what we all know and what we all believe. To consider how some yearn for us all to speak Mandarin or English, to make life easier. To consider how a stunning photograph of a phantom orchid can be made to stand today for all orchids. To consider how traveling to Vienna can mean for some that you've more or less been to Prague. How, if you're pressed for time, one thing can justifiably take the place of another. End quote. It is tempting to believe that the information age and the present social media uh, epoch have broadened our recognition of Tselemelukim diversity. It certainly has the potential to do so by granting us access and insight into the many worlds outside of our own bubbles. Sadly, the opposite has proven to be the case. We have become quicker to pigeonhole, to generalize, and to form hasty judgments because we feel we know the inner and outer worlds of other people on the sole basis of our superficial online exposure. This is why long-form interviews like 1840 and the Orthodox Conundrum are critical. 
they show us that not every Hasid is that kind of Hasid. Not every Zionist is that kind of Zionist. Not every feminist is that kind of feminist. And footnote, FYI, not every rationalist is that kind of rationalist, a topic I hope to write about later this summer. Instead of seeing people through their labels, we begin to see them despite their labels. Slowly but surely, the labels recede into the background, and we come to regard them as individuals, each one B'Tselem Elohim. And the more this happens while listening to podcasts, the more we will yearn to know people this way in real life. Lopez concludes by underscoring the urgent need to appreciate this type of diversity. Quote, During these years of travel, my understanding of what diversity can mean has evolved. I began with an intuition that the world was, from place to place and culture to culture, far more different than I had been led to believe. Later, I began to understand that to ignore these differences is not simply insensitive, but unjust and perilous. To ignore the differences does not make things better. It creates isolation, pain, fury, despair. Finally, I came to see something profound. Long-term healthy patterns of social organization among all social life forms, it seemed to me, hinged on work that maintained the integrity of the community while at the same time granting autonomy to its individuals. What made a society beautiful was some combination of autonomy and difference that together minimized strife. End quote. This is exactly the kind of work that David and Scott do. They maintain the integrity of the community while at the same time grant, or more accurately affirm, the autonomy of its individuals. In so doing, they increase shalom in a world that is, that is in desperate need of shalom. Value number two, the courage to imagine a better future. The most alarming essay I've read by Lopez thus far bears an appropriately dire title. An era of emergencies is upon us and we cannot look away, published in 2021. Lopez states the problem in stark terms, quote, crudely put, we can no longer afford to carry on in a prolonged era of polite reflection and ineffective resistance. An era of emergencies is bearing down on us. We must now consider, for example, how to organize the last industrial extractions of oil, fresh water, natural gas, timber, metallic ores, and fish in order to ensure our own survival. And we must consider, of course, what comes after that. We must reckon with the sixth extinction, which will remove, for example, many of our pollinators and one day probably many of us. We must invent overnight, figuratively speaking, another kind of civilization, one more cognizant of limits, less greedy, more compassionate, less bigoted, more inclusive, less exploitive. End quote. I am not a Jewish historian. I am embarrassingly ignorant about much of what is going on even in the present. As a Gare, a convert, I lack the inherited sense of shared history that so many of my Jewish-born peers seem to possess. But I am a Jewish educator, and from where I stand, I fear that an era of emergencies is bearing down on us. Perhaps every generation of Torah teachers feels this way, but that doesn't make it any less true. The Jewish nation is riddled with spiritual maladies originating in educational malpractice, much of which has gone on for centuries. I myself feel helpless to address these crises. All I feel equipped to do is to teach Torah, as I understand it, to the small circle of students I have. I am not a visionary, but in my opinion, Scott Kahn and David Beshevkin are. Or at the very least, they are willing to step up to the plate in an effort to find ideas and people who will make a difference. They are responding to the call in Pirkei Avos 2.5 of In a place where there are no men, strive to be a man. The catalyst for Lopez's reflections in this essay was a, a recently published book of photography he read. Quote, Many of the pictures in the 2021 book, American Geography, photographs of land use from 1840 to the present, speak to questions about our survival as a species. Some reflect our sense of grief about what has happened. In others, you can feel the photographer's bewilderment at the same time as his or her wonder. For some viewers, these pictures might prompt feelings of anger and condemnation. 
If you imagine the project as a whole piece of cloth, you could say that the larger question here is, what have we done? For me, who began my professional life as a photographer, as well as a writer more than 50 years ago, the stance American geography takes is one of direction of direction, oh, sorry, of direct confrontation. The volume dispenses with sentimentality and nostalgia about our once primal landscapes and is further not compromised by iconic photographs of the beautiful. Also, for all of its pictures from the 19th and 20th centuries, the project is much less about our past than it is about our future. American geography persistently questions the value of the fruits of progress, or lack of them, and also the putative ethical foundation for manifest destiny. To go on like this, the photograph suggests, to continue to applaud the individual quest for substantial personal wealth at the expense of others, and to continue to promote the puerile dreams of some to secure positions of social and political advantage over others would be suicidal. End quote. To my mind, this is a perfect description of the vantage point offered by Rabbi Beshevkin and Rabbi Khan. With a solid grasp of Jewish history, they prompt their listeners to take a step back and ask, collectively as a people, what have we done? While they acknowledge the many triumphs of the modern era that have helped us take significant strides, they dispense with sentimentality and nostalgia and prod their audience to persistently question the value of the fruits of progress or lack of them, and also the putative ethical foundations of the traditions, practices, and trends that have reigned. They do so not with the antagonistic spirit of anonymous internet commenters, nor with the militancy of extreme reformers and activists, but, as David Beshevkin always says, by, quote, balancing, monster, balancing modern sensibilities with traditional sensitivities, end quote. Lopez writes about the kind of courage and imagination that are necessary to be this type of visionary. Quote, The courage, for me, is the decision to address unflinchingly the troubling future, to prompt a reconsideration of what will work for us now, what we will freely abandon, and what we will hold on to at any cost. A willingness to reimagine our future, to identify a different road than the one that the profits of technological innovation or global climate change itself are offering us. End quote. Scott Kahn and David Beshevkin possess this type of courage and imagination. They aren't afraid to address the troubling future, and they are willing to imagine different versions of what the future, what that future might look like, even if that means letting go of cherished values and institutions. As Scott Kahn said, he endeavors to, quote, identify what works well and what does not, so that through an honest accounting, we can find solutions that will be successful, and to, quote, examine some of the major issues that affect the Orthodox world without exaggeration, whitewashing, or pretending that they don't exist, end quote. Even knowing that there are people out there like David and Scott gives me hope for the future. Value number three, conversation. I haven't managed to find a specific citation for this final excerpt. I happened upon it online when I was searching for another Lopez quotation. Quote, conversations are efforts toward good relations. They are an elementary form of reciprocity. They are the exercise of our love for each other. They are the enemies of our loneliness, our doubt, our anxiety, our tendencies to abdicate. To continue to be in good conversation over our enormous and terrifying problems is to be calling out to each other in the night. If we attend with imagination and devotion to our conversations, we will find what we need, and someone among us will act. It does not matter whom, and we will survive. End quote. Both Scott Kahn and David Beshevkin routinely tackle what some might consider to be unsolvable problems, problems involving thorny issues of philosophy, theology, history, assimilation, education, inclusion, policy, economics, parenting, tragedy, leadership, community, relationships, and more. Both men come across as modest and realistic, never purporting to have solutions to these perennial issues. Yet, I'm sure that doesn't stop their listeners and critics from accusing them of claiming to have the answers. This passage from Lopez helped me realize the value of having these conversations even without attempting to arrive at solutions. As far as I know, this is exactly what 1840 and Orthodox Conundrum aim to do. 
In Love in a Time of Terror, an essay published just a few months before his death in December 2020, Lopez lauds the style of discourse among the traditional people like the Walpiri, a group of Aboriginal people who live in, northern in the Northern Territory of Australia. Quote, I felt for a long time that the great political questions of our time about violent prejudice, global climate change, venal great fear of the other could be addressed in illuminating ways by considering models in the natural world. The goal in these conversations, from a traditional point of view, is to put off for a good while arriving at any conclusion, to continue to follow, instead, several avenues of approach until a door no one had initially seen suddenly opens. End quote. These are the types of solutions I predict will emerge from the discourse facilitated by the Orthodox Conundrum and 1840 podcasts. I think this will happen precisely because these two men do not attempt to solve the problems they raise, but instead examine them lishma for their own sake. This is the type of non-goal-directed, curiosity-based exploration I wrote about in Octopuses, MDMA, and the Ecstasy of the Torah, the type of exploration that in the long run leads to world-changing results. This is the type of learning lishma that brings good of its own accord, as the Ramam writes in Hilgos Tshuva 10.2, quote, one who serves Hashem uh, involves himself in Torah and mitzvot and walks the paths of wisdom, not because of any worldly matter, neither out of fear of harm nor in order to inherit the good, but merely does what is true because it is true, and the good will ultimately come about as a result. End quote. Perhaps as important as the solutions is the feeling of support generated by the conversations themselves, what Lopez describes as the calling out to each other in the night. I'm sure that many listeners have reached out to David and Scott to let them know that they feel heard. In what can feel like crushing darkness, like the crushing darkness of our protracted exile, such conversations have the power to reassure us that we are not alone. They strengthen our hope that we as a people will survive and one day thrive with Hashem's help. Concluding thoughts. Lopez concludes his eulogy of the writer Wallace Stegner in the essay In Memoriam Wallace Stegner, 1996, with a reflection of on writing as an act of love. Quote, we are all going to die, of course. And deaths remind us to live our lives fully, to take advantage of every opportunity to love and to be loved. And deaths as large as Stegner's, a first-rate novelist and essayist, a model historian, a man who took citizenship seriously, remind us how poorly we often do meaning to love each other. I don't know that Wallace Stegner ever meant to teach that particular lesson. It's in our way of life that we often teach best what we're not conscious of by the example of our lives. But I will always remember this about him, what he encouraged. It is a good idea to love each other and to love the earth. It is the only way we can make children. It is the only way we can have a place to abide. And by those two things, perpetuate ourselves. No one knows what human destiny is, but surely it must be our hope that it is something good, that it is striving toward what we call God. And we know that it is love and all that love contains, passion, awe, allegiance, ecstasy, respect, selflessness, that carries us in that direction. If love is to discover and rediscover life, to encourage and protect it, to marvel at it and serve it, it is the best we can do for each other to remember, to say it all again. And in this instance of Wallace Stegner, the best he could do was very much enough. End quote. I had never heard of Wallace Stegner, but as I read these words, I thought of Rabbi Scott Kahn and Rabbi David Beshevkin. Both men take their Jewish citizenship seriously. Both teach by example in their podcast interviews. Both help us advance towards something good, towards God. Though I'm sure they would downplay their own achievements, it is clear to their audiences that they are striving to do the best they can they can to help us discover and rediscover Jewish life, to encourage and protect it, to marvel at it and serve it. By Lopez's definition, this is love. I want to express my deepest gratitude to Rabbi David Beshevkin and Rabbi Scott Kahn for their labors of love. May Hashem help you to succeed in all your endeavors. 
As much as I would love to promote 1840 and the Orthodox Conundrum, I didn't write this article for that reason. I wrote it because reading these passages from Lopez helped me to understand why I appreciate these podcasts, and once I had that understanding, I felt the need to express it. But if you haven't listened to these podcasts, I urge you to visit the websites of 1840 and the Orthodox Conundrum, or wherever you go for your podcasts, skin the episode list until you see something that catches your interest, and give it a listen. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbischneeweiss at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.